This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the TopRopePress.com radio network. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. champion you don't like it i don't care you don't speak english i don't care fool me once shame on shame on you you fool me we can't get fooled again and i have had the brain to do they think they got the answers i change the questions Welcome, everyone, to the second edition of Top Rope Nation. I am your host, Ryan Drosty, editor-in-chief of TopRopePress.com, here on this National IPA Day, and I am joined this week by a new co-host. I am here with Kyle Ross, the SmackDown extraordinaire for Top Rope Press. He is also our kind of daily news reporter, Uh, and I got to ask you, Kyle, since it is National IPA Day, do you have... A go-to IPA. First off, Ryan, thank you for having me. And number two, that's an interesting question because I find when I go to a bar, I always try to order one that I haven't had before. I mean, there's so many to choose from. Like I always uh, try to choose like a house IPA. But if I had to choose one that I specifically uh, seek out when I go to the uh, grocery store or something, or if I want to have a few here at home, it would be a local one. It's called White Raja. R-A-J-A-H, that's uh, produced by a local company here, um, a suburb in Cleveland, Strongsville. Um, It's called the Brew Kettle. So White Raja is actually one that I have in my refrigerator right now, and I prefer a lot. I'm kind of like you. I try to get a different one every time. I have the Untapped app on my phone. I don't know Uh, if you've ever heard of it. Yes, yes. So I'm one of those guys at the bar that's always whipping out my phone, taking a picture of my beer, trying to add to my list. So I let's see. I mean, it's a little early right now for me to be breaking out the beer, but I would say my favorite IPA probably I really like the Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, there's a brewery here in the Midwest uh, up out of Minneapolis called Surly, and they have uh, a beer called Furious that I like a lot. Uh, and then kind of in your neck of the woods, Bell's Brewery out of Michigan, Two-Hearted. Oh, That's yeah. kind of a go-to. Oh, yeah, Two-Hearted. Yeah, that was during uh, the Cavs playoff run there. I, that was a, a go-to for me. Definitely. Any of us here in the Midwest, Bell's Two-Hearted, we're all familiar with it for sure, I think. So I thought we'd start off this week since Kyle here, he writes the uh, weekly SmackDown recap for the website, Top Rope Press. Um, I thought we'd just kind of talk about what we saw from the show 
we're two weeks into the brand split now, kind of where we think the show is headed, uh, how it's doing compared to Raw. I mean, overall, Kyle, what did you think of the show this week? I thought it was better than the first one. Not by leaps and bounds, but definitely better. The first one kind of just got off on a wrong note with that battle royal, which exposed the depth problem right away. I thought that was kind of a bad choice to do right off the bat as their first match, but there was a little bit more focus. Now, I don't necessarily like every direction they're going on SmackDown, but I thought there was just a little more focus this week, and because of that, I slightly preferred it. I would say that both Raws, certainly the first one, have been better than both SmackDowns so far. I think we're in you know, agreement I saw there. you had put out on Twitter your kind of rankings of the four shows. I think the only difference that I would have from your list is that I prefer the second SmackDown to the first one. And obviously the first Raw was the best, and then the second Raw would be the second best of the four. Yeah, I, th- I think they were pretty close. I think the only reason I, I put this week's SmackDown in the number four spot just behind the first SmackDown of the split was I felt the main event on the first SmackDown show was pretty good in-ring-wise, and I felt like um, this week's show didn't have a match on that level to me, and that kind of put over the top. But I can see, like, in the undercard and everything, I could I could see how you could put this week's show above it and just the little changes they made. They added the set in the back with Renee Young. Um, did they have the the graphics when the people entered in week one where they had, like, the little no. stats? I didn't think so. No, that, that, that I did was like new. that. I, I, I had noted that in the review that that and then the Renee Young thing, at least it's not the biggest thing in the world, but at least they're trying to have some minor differentiations between the two shows, which I think is huge. Um, I mean, I know that they're both WWE productions. They're always going to be WWE productions, but in, you know, my hope that one of them, perhaps SmackDown, would be kind of able to have full creative license and maybe not be so blatantly a Vince McMahon show is that's kind of a pipe dream. I, I just don't think that'll ever be able to ha- happen, but um, I, I would like to at least see more difference differences between the shows um, moving forward. Absolutely. I think we kind of saw back when uh, Paul Heyman was writing the show in the early two thousands, kind of yes. what happens there. I mean, he kind of had free reign for a while and it became the better show between raw and SmackDown and, Pretty much right when that happened, we saw the McMahon family kind of put their hands on that and yeah, put well, the kibosh yeah, to it's it. Funny, it's funny that you bring that up because that was and that was like right when it started too, back in 2000, the fall of 2002. And that was really the only time that the shows were dramatically different. And I remember that time and I literally it got to a point where I was only watching Smackdown for those few weeks. It was a great show. They had the Smackdown six. Now, there was an issue that a lot of those guys got hurt because of all the matches they were having. But, you know, that was when Raw was doing all those horrible skits, like Katie Vick was going on, if people want to remember that. And I think all this stuff's up on the network now, and you can revisit it. But yeah, and it's interestingly the only time, I think, that was obvious during that first brand split that SmackDown was significantly better as well. So, um, you know, and, and that's another issue moving forward with SmackDown. I think a lot of people were lamenting, particularly that first week, Oh boy, this kind of has that B-show vibe to it, which um, they desperately need to shed. Otherwise, people are going to give up on it um, a lot sooner than later. But I think overall, and people may not like this answer, I mean, you can't really judge after just two weeks what you're doing. Because SummerSlam, you know, 
I think the guys who are going to be on that card anyway are going to be the one um, are kind of it's kind of unaffected by the brand split. I think the guys that make the card would have been on there regardless if there's a brand split or not. I don't think we can really judge this thing until we start seeing the brand only shows in September, October. And by Survivor Series in November, we can kind of then judge where the two brands are at and how this is working. I think that's um, looking ahead probably the time that we should look to when we can actually judge how this is going i think that's fair yeah jason and i last week on the show we talked a little bit about the depth problems on smackdown and i think you made a good point a minute ago i mean the opening segment on the first show it was blatant how thin the roster on smackdown is when you've got baron corbin you know in a match possibly to get the world championship shot you know that uh they're really grasping at straws there so i mean you can go even worse than that i mean i'm okay kind of with corbin he's new okay they can do maybe they're high on him maybe they're not they want to do something but i mean it was a 14 man battle royal and four of the guys were the ascension and the vaude villains that's that's not good right you know I mean, the, yeah. I mean, those are two jobber teams i mean that's like you know if in the 80s it was like the bolsheviks and the conquistadors or something like that <laughs> so stuff but um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it just stood out to me. And I think it stood out to a lot of people when I had Twitter open, watch that match. They're like, Oh my God, this is SmackDown's roster outside of the top five guys. This is horrible. Um, now they did hold American elf out of the match and whatnot, but still, um, it, it is an issue moving forward. Now it's only a two hour show, but, um, what's really interesting is I think raw, and we can talk about this later when we talk about raw almost has too much, even though it's a three-hour show, and you wouldn't think that, but they've got the cruiserweights coming in, and there's going to be some talented guys that probably aren't even on the SummerSlam show from the Raw side. Um, and these are guys, you know, these like the Cesaros of the world, who SmackDown could desperately use. So, Right. Well, speaking of the Villains and uh, American Alpha, I did want to talk about, right just before SmackDown went live on Tuesday, we found out, that WWE has plans to add a, another yes. tag team championship to SmackDown, a new women's title to SmackDown. And to me, the thing that stood out as I watched that show Tuesday night, and um, specifically American Alpha's debut, is they're wrestling the Villains in their first match on SmackDown. And one of my buddies I was watching the show with, shout out to Jeremy if he's listening right now, he pointed out right away, you know, why... Why is American Alpha taking out the VOD villains in their first match on the show, you know, rather than having kind of like a squash match? Because mm-hmm. I think we both agree the VOD villains have been kind of driven into the dirt in their time on the main roster. But well, they're done. Yeah, they're yeah. done, I think, already. It's shocking. I mean, even by WWE stand- modern standards, how quickly they've killed off this act. But you would think, just because of how thin the roster is on SmackDown, they're almost going to be forced to make something out of them or make people take them seriously. I mean, if you look at the roster for tag teams, who they have, I mean, who else is there? We've got the Usos, we've got the Ascension, uh, we've got Breezango, and I mean, that's about it for actual legit tag teams, unless I'm missing someone there, but I mean... I want to say there were six, but I could be wrong, but regardless, the other one's not uh, inconsequential. I mean, the only two teams, and I, by the way, completely agree with what you just said. I, I was expecting the local talent to be in there against American Alpha, because I don't know how they're going to create the title. I would assume a tournament. But, you know, I mean, is anyone going to take the Vaudeville seriously if they're in the tournament? No. <laughs> no. I, it, yeah, I really thought that they kind of, and it's not a great act, 
I was actually kind of surprised they were even called up to the main roster. I mean, obviously you have to do something with them. You can't just let them toil in NXT forever. It's not the best act in the world, but I thought that, and again, it wasn't something that they had quote unquote planned. I'm doing air quotes here, but when they did the injury, when they, when Enzo Amore got hurt in that match, um, what pay-per-view was that payback? Yeah. I thought they should have given him like an Owen three sixteen gimmick. If you remember that, I mean, going way back now, like 15 years, like when Owen Hart um, did the missed time pile driver on Steve Austin, they actually played off of it. He wore those Owen three sixteen shirt. I just broke your neck. I yeah. thought that because people that, that, that got heat, like from the crowd, like if you actually watched whenever the next time the villains came out, they had a little bit of heat from that. They could have gone, you know, in the villains, truth be told, like I said a minute ago, they don't have a long shelf life, I think, with that act. Um, and, you know, Simon Gotch apparently has already got heat with everyone in the back if you listen to Meltzer and stuff like that. So that could have breathed at least a little bit of life into this act. But, I mean, it's been what now? Four months they're on the main roster and they're already, you know, kind of DOA, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I- I'm with you. They they should have probably used just some jobber team just to and done a squash match, I thought, for American Alpha. But American Alpha did look very good. Um, I think it's very obvious that they'll be the focus of the SmackDown Tag Team division. Um, I'd be shocked if they weren't the champions by the end of the year. I actually, and I, I wanted to get your opinion on this, I don't think they should make them the champions right away, though. I think that's too obvious. Because I'm not sure who then they work with as challengers right i mean yeah you look up and down the the roster here i mean usos unless they go heel that um, was my idea that was kind of my I, I think that if whatever if they do a tournament and it's the finals usos versus american alpha you you do something in the build and maybe it's a little telegraphed and the sharper fans will catch on to it but whatever i think it'll work if, you know, you have the Usos saying, hey, let's have a good, clean match, be the best team win, yada, yada, yada. And then the Usos, like, cheat to win and, like, do a heel turn to get the titles. At least that gets some heat for those titles and people be invested in them because they'll want to see American Alpha then win them. I mean, how much mileage you get out of the Usos as heels, I don't know. But truth be told, they probably just need a heel turn anyway because in the grand scheme of tag teams on the WWE roster, you know, they're fourth on the babyface side now behind American Alpha and then... You know, with Raw, obviously, the New Day and Enzo and Cass, um, probably the two top tag team acts in the entire company. So the Usos kind of just need a change anyway. And if you do turn them a heel, you might as well, pardon me, give them the belts for at least a little bit. I, 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 if it's me, I don't know. People may disagree, but that's what I would do with the SmackDown tag team titles. 100% agree. That's what I would do. I would have the Usos turn heel, get the belts, have American Alpha chase, um, I think the only other tag team, I, I was looking at the roster again here, the only other one would be Mojo and Ryder, the hype yes, bros. Yes, that was it, yeah. Combine them again on the main roster. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really babyface heavy right now. I mean, is Alpha going to feud with uh, the Ascension? Is that the, is that going to be their title feud? You know, the villains who they've already beat? They're, yeah, their options are really limited. So, and... I mean, yeah, you can look at the the women's roster too on SmackDown. They're going to be having a a women's title now too, and it's just as thin. But I mean, there might even be more options on the women's side than the tag team side, if you if you want to be honest about it. But I think uh, what we saw again this week with the women's division is it's 
it's pretty clear that uh, Becky Lynch is going to be the top baby face, and I think you wrote that in your SmackDown review this yeah. week. Um, but they really want Eva Marie to be the star. And speaking of that, last week on the show, Jason and I were talking about Eva Marie and his, her uh, fantastic entrance on that first show. And I had an idea where, you know, her whole act would be her entrance, and then she would come down to the ring, and she would never... Well, you know what? Let me just roll the tape. Let's get to this. This is what I said last week on the show, and then we'll talk about what happened this week. We gonna take you back in the... Here's what they should do. All right. I got it. Every week, she gets the full entrance with the voiceover. They could even change it up a little bit every week. She walks <laughs> out like really slowly like she did on Tuesday night. She poses. She gets down to the ring. She looks around. And then she just slowly walks to the back, and her opponent's left confused, like, why is she not wrestling? And she just does this every week, and she gets so much heat because nobody knows what's going on. It's the most confusing thing anyone has ever seen. By the time she finally has to wrestle, people will be dying to see it. So, as you heard there, yeah, I mean, that's basically what they did, Kyle. Uh, they had her come out. She faked an injury. She didn't wrestle. She was supposed to wrestle Becky Lynch, who's obviously the other top woman's wrestler there on SmackDown. So what do you think of the angle? Did you like it? Do you think, uh, is this going to be a recurring thing? Like every week she just tries to get out of her match? What was your opinion? I really liked it, actually. Uh, I think Eva Marie, when you talk about things they're doing different um, on SmackDown, has been one of the real bright spots of the first two weeks, believe it or not. And I know there are issues. She's not a great worker, but then again, this gimmick play a plays off of it and B hides the weakness. So it's smart in that, in those two regards. And I do expect it to continue. Uh, Kevin Dunn, if he could create a WWE diva in a lab, I think it would wind up looking pretty close to Eva Marie. And I can tell the listeners right now that if you don't like Eva Marie, I've got some bad news because she absolutely is going to be the star on the show um, in the women's division. That's not just me talking. That's kind of, you know, what you put your ear to the ground and you maybe add one and one together. You figure that out. I, I think it's very clear that they want her um, even more so than Becky to be the star, at least initially. Now, Eventually, she's going to have to wrestle, and we'll see how that goes. Um, I actually saw her at a house show not that long ago, an NXT house show. And, I mean, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was passable, I think, for women's wrestling. I mean, truth be told, unless if it's, like, a Sasha-Charlotte match, I mean, the bar is still fairly low with this division. Yeah, I mean, on SmackDown, we've got Natalia's probably all around the most talented in the ring. Um, but then you got Becky, who's by far the most popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've both heard um, from people within WWE that, yeah, that's the plan. Eva's, Eva's going to be the uh, the face of SmackDown on the women's side. That's what they want. And uh, before our listeners rip us apart over this, <laughs> I don't think it's the worst thing either because the way they've been presenting her is exactly how they need to do it. Um, that is her weakness, being in the ring. So as long as they can draw this angle where she comes out, she gets heat from the crowd, she leaves, 
people are going to dislike her more and more and more. They really want to see her wrestle. And there's, there's, there's women on that roster that will be able to carry her to decent enough matches for a while until she learns. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it right now. I've, I've, I've actually liked it the first two weeks. So I'll say this, the, the selling needed work. I mean, I knew what she was doing kind of right away, but her selling was not, you know, <laughs> it was not Bret Hart at the 1994 Royal Rumble selling the knee, you know, limping down to the yeah, ring. It was yeah. pretty much the opposite. I mean, I, I knew what she was going for, and I think most people did, but it was it kind of was like she was just massaging her own knee or something like that. I was like, what? Is she? I'm like, I, OK, she's selling the knee. She's not great at it. But it's again, it got over. They'll have to get creative. I mean, they can't just do that every week. And another thing, too. When we talk about differentiating between the two brands you know you can't have you know hard work in sasha and hard work in becky as the two and it's basically the same thing on the two brands i mean they fell into that pattern a lot with their champions in the last brand split if you go back i mean um just so everyone can recall i'll use the obvious examples like with the world champions you know you would have ben juan guerrero both be champion at the same time and then you know, seen in Batista, the two new stars ascended at the same time. Um, initially, it was Triple H and Lesnar, the two dominant heels. So, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, the champions, if they are going to have champions on both brands, I'd like to see them kind of do different things with those champions. I don't want to see, and particularly with SmackDown, I don't want to see, you know, like when it was JBL and Triple H basically doing the same thing back then in like 2004, and JBL was just kind of a, you know, a knockoff of trip you know he had the cabinet when triple h had the uh evolution you know i i would i would like to see them do different things with the respective champions at the same time i don't want to kind of see the same storyline on both brands so i think if you had sasha as the champion on one brand eve eva on the other one um it'd be a lot different it would be, it would be something interesting and again i don't know how much legs you can get out of eva maria's champion but initially i think it's a pretty good idea and it's worked the, the first two weeks make no mistake about it I think it's kind of ironic, too, because of, uh, you know, going into the brand split, we thought SmackDown's going to be the more athletic presented show and Raw maybe the more entertaining side. But at least on the women's division, I think what you see is you've got the women that can really go and work. Most of them are on Raw and uh, the more entertainment based, hence Eva Marie, that's going to be the SmackDown I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know what they're going to call the the new women's bell, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they brought back the divas bell for the SmackDown side, just because of the image that brand I think is going to have moving forward. And you know, even Marie has the total divas connection. Possibly Nikki Bella could head that direction when she comes back. That's true. That's true. So we'll see what happens there. It, it, I think though the only thing is because I assume that too. I was like, oh, are they just going to bring back the divas title for this and. They they made such a statement moving away from that, or at least tried to. I bet they don't use Divas, but it'll be maybe something like that. And by the way, we should mention, I think, the X Factor. And this isn't long-term, this is short-term, because I think after SummerSlam weekend, she's probably coming on the main roster as Bailey, which brand she goes to. Uh, you know, we saw her tag with Sasha, but that was promoted as a one-off. And thus, uh, I don't know if that means like Raw kind of has her rights or if she's kind of going to be a free agent, because I assume and I could be completely wrong. Actually, I, I don't know. I haven't heard this or anything, but I assume she's going to lose um, at TakeOver. And then and thus because she needs to come up, let's be honest. I mean, she truth be told should have probably been brought up 
after she lost the title initially. I think kind of this chase, um, people are kind of like, okay, it's okay, but yeah, you know, we'd rather see her on the main roster at this time. So that'll be interesting too. Whatever brand she gets introduced into, um, you know, obviously she's going to be a major player. Uh, I wouldn't mind, and I'm jumping ahead, but um, her building off, and I, I would, to be honest with you, since she had done something with Sasha, I wouldn't be shocked if she did go to Raw, and I, you know, and I, I can when we talk about Sasha and Raw later, I can share my thoughts there because I actually think Sasha should be, and I guess this kind of goes against what I just said with different characters as champions, but I kind of actually think Sasha should be a heel moving forward. Yeah, I think. Well, I agree with you on Bailey and NXT, and you know she's been kind of dragging her feet there. Honestly, I I reviewed NXT this week on Top Rope Press, and uh, as they were building that Oscar Bailey match, I just kept thinking like how out of place Bailey seems sometimes in NXT now. Like it's even like the crowd realizes she shouldn't be there at this point. Yeah, it yeah, just, I agree. Like, it just doesn't have like she doesn't have the same momentum, and it's one of those things where they've, they've just waited too long. Um, but I. I haven't heard this either, but I would assume she would head to Raw just based upon the women that are there and her involvement mm-hmm. Yeah, at the, with uh, Sasha already. Um, and, you know, perhaps Sasha could turn on her and go heel. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to Raw. But I would think that uh, Nikki Bella might be coming back around the same time that Bailey gets brought up. So they would probably be split. So if we got if we've got... Bailey going to Raw, then yeah, I would assume Nikki would come to SmackDown. We'll have to see how that plays and, out. And uh, if you would maybe try to connect the dots here, I can see Nikki going to SmackDown. Why? Because John Cena's on SmackDown. Yep, exactly. That, that would. I mean, they 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 like to keep the Golden Goose happy. I, yeah. I mean, Alberto Del Rio is one thing. They don't care about him and what he thinks, obviously. But uh, <laughs> John's gonna, I think, probably get his girlfriend on his show. I would imagine. Right, and we saw with John this week on SmackDown. They they kind of continued to set up that uh, obvious match with AJ and him at SummerSlam, and I thought that was probably the high point of the show. Was the uh, the promo that Cena and, and AJ had in the ring, or that was at least my favorite part of the show. Um, what did you think of that segment? No, it was strong, and truth be told, it's been a really strong program from start to finish. I think it's been better than the world just the one world title program uh initially and now I'll I'll be honest with you and we could even transition this into a discussion of first the smackdown title program I, it's really funny they've got these two world titles now and you know I know you and I on Twitter it was a few weeks ago I think at this point we're pointing out the very obvious problems that you open yourself up to when you have two world titles and that basically you don't have one world champion you have two mid card you know you kind of have the it's like the old days with the intercontinental, not today's intercontinental title, but the old intercontinental title. Uh, when it, that belt meant something, you kind of have two IC champions, not one world champion. Um, and I bring that up because, you know, Cena Styles, I kind of care about that more than both world title matches at SummerSlam. I don't know if I'm alone on that one, but um, and to be honest, it's not the only match that will probably take place at SummerSlam that I care about more than both world title matches, uh, particularly on the SmackDown side, uh, truth be told, I have yeah, I have virtually no interest in the SmackDown title match. I'm I'm interested in in Rollins and Balor for sure, um, but yeah, speaking of the SmackDown side, I know uh, we talked a little bit about this off air, but uh, Dolph Ziggler being positioned to 
challenge for the belt with Ambrose, and it's kind of confusing because it seems kind of like is is Ambrose actually the heel in this program, or or what's going on? Um, I thought the promo Ziggler did on SmackDown was decent, um, but I. I thought he yelled way too much. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why are you it, screaming? You have a microphone it, that, in front that of that you. That's just poor promo skills. It's like, yeah. I guess in the 80s that could fly, but, you know, now <laughs> it's just kind of like, what are you doing? You know, it's not really what he should be doing. And, you know, Ziggler's another guy that's been beat down for years and years and yes. years. And it's like, so now we're supposed to think that he's a serious challenger for the world title. Why? You know, it was kind of a, a, a fluky way that he... Uh, he pinned AJ in that match to get the title shot. Uh, he did his best to come across as serious. He talked about his time in the Spirit Squad and how he's been through a lot of crap over the years. And um, just get your thoughts on that, Kyle. What, what did you think? I was shocked when he won that main event two weeks ago. I mean, just stunned. I, I think I wrote it in my report that going into the match, if I were to rank the six guys and their chances of winning, I would have had him last just because, you know, I mean, he's been around for a long time, but just look at the last year or so. I mean, this is a guy who lost to Tyler Breeze on television. No one loses to Tyler Breeze on television. You know, just before the brand split, didn't he do like a huge job to Rusev where he tapped out to the accolade? I mean, maybe I'm making that up, but I thought he did. Yeah. No, yeah, he he did that. Yeah, like you said, he he feuded with he Breeze for like Corbin. weeks and weeks and weeks. They went back and forth. Yeah, he lost to Corbin. He wrestled Corbin a lot. Feuds nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was just like all of a sudden, and, and that did not do wonders for the SmackDown stigma that I brought up earlier in that, okay, now all of a sudden we've got the split rosters and Dolph Ziggler's a top guy in this one. It, just, it wasn't a good look for the brand, I think. I mean, it, part of me kind of feels for Dolph because not all of this is his fault. Uh, I do think he's a slightly overrated performer. Truth be told, like, I think the whole steal the show gimmick is kind of silly. There aren't a ton of shows that I've watched where Dolph Ziggler's been the best match on the card. I was trying to think of one. Uh, There was a pay-per-view in Cleveland December of 14. It was was right after they did the Survivor Series thing that he won, and he actually had some momentum then, and him and Luke Harper had a ladder match. It was a TLC uh, that was the best match on that card. But other than that, he doesn't have the best match on the card regularly. And this whole Mr. Perfect, Shawn Michaels tribute shtick is, you know, I don't know. Kind of it wears thin with me. The Shawn um, Michaels thing has really gotten out of hand the last few months. Like his tights even look just like HBK's yes. tights now. Like he's got the little um, icons in the exact same spots as like the Shawn Michaels trunks. And it's like even Michaels has been pretty vocal in different interviews I've heard him do where he's like, I've I've gone up to Dolph backstage. and I've been like, dude, you you need to get your own. <laughs> you need to get your own gimmick. That doesn't work. So, yeah, I I've always liked him well enough in the ring i thought for a lot of years that they were burying him when he should have been a guy they pushed but like it's it's been gone it's gone on for so long now that it's just like it's not like um if you take someone who's been on the mid card for a while like a cesaro or something like if they if they elevated cesaro to a world title feud everyone would be like yeah he deserves it you know he's been there for a long time i just i don't see that reaction with ziggler because it's it's gone on for like what five five years or more or he's been... Yeah, I mean, he came up to the. He he's been Dolph Ziggler since when? Like, I want to say it was like '09 or 2010. Right there was a Royal there. Rumble he was in. I actually watched the Royal Rumble recently from that era where he just came out and got like 
tossed like a total jobber by like Kane or something like that. And so it, it was around that era. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I just think that. And another thing, too, um, is when you mentioned Cesaro, I thought that was a good comparison because I think Cesaro would work in that spot um, more so than Ziggler. Another thing is Ziggler has had some chances, actually, and hasn't always. And this goes back to what I kind of just said a minute ago, that maybe he's not that great. He's not this held down talent. You know, that whole storyline doesn't there, there's a reason maybe it doesn't connect as well as he thinks it should. Maybe it's just not true. I mean, he has been a world champion before. I mean, granted. He could have been presented better, but, you know, I mean, it also kind of demeans the world title. If you're like, yeah, I've never gotten anything and stuff, but he has wanted. I mean, he was pretty over when he beat Del Rio. What was that in 2012, 2013? Some of these years run together. Yeah, no, but, he, he he was one of those guys that kind of did have that underground fan following for a while. Yeah. I, I remember I went to a Raw um, and I, it was like 2013, 2014 um, with my dad and we walked in the arena and like his shirts were all over the place. It was when he had like the bright pink shirt. So you could tell yeah. everywhere. And I was like, my dad casually watches wrestling. And I was like, you see those pink shirts everywhere. And I was like, well, that's a guy they could be pushing right now as a main eventer, but he's probably going to lose tonight to someone who doesn't really matter much. And that's exactly what happened. He came out, the, cr- the place went crazy. He lost. And, you know, now we're three, four years down the road and that's kind of died off. I don't see that that diehard fan following for him anymore. Like you see with Cesaro with the Cesaro section signs. So yeah, I, I agree when he, when he uh, was pushed to the top of SmackDown right at the start, it did definitely gives it kind of that, that B show stigma. And that's something he's going to have to work really hard to kind of reverse. And uh, we'll see where we go from there. And it's going to be really interesting too. Earlier you brought up, the villains, and to bring this kind of full circle with SmackDown, you know, maybe they shouldn't have been the one to do the job, even though, let's be honest, I mean, the villains, there's a lot of work to do to salvage that gimmick, but it's going to be interesting what they do with Ziggler in the months that follow. I don't think he's going to win at SummerSlam. I just, I don't. Uh, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised, but are they just going to, you know, kind of shoot him back down the card I think that would make the whole thing worse if they did that. Because why I brought up what you said about American Elf and the Vaudevillains is look at a guy like Bray Wyatt who just did a job and you don't want that job to be for naught because otherwise then it's like, oh God, like, you know, and that's when people want to complain about squash matches uh, taking place. Um, You know, my issue has always been why I think they're great and they work, especially now. And I think they should have used them more is too many guys lose on WWE TV. Like, okay, I get you want to put over Ziggler. He's got to beat someone with some credibility in the main event. I get what you're trying to do with that story. But, you know, Bray Wyatt, like, what about when you need him in a couple weeks or months down the road? Um, I mean, okay, people maybe just forget about that match. It doesn't matter. Maybe I'm being, you know, a nitpicker. But, you know, I mean, those things matter, I think. Um, And with Ziggler... You know, he's a he's a classic example of a guy who just lost too much on television because they didn't have anything for him at the time. Because, you know, your point is well taken. There was a uh, a time and place when he was over and people did want to see him move off the card, but he just got beaten down so much that I think people have moved on and they're like, okay, WWE, you win. We don't care about this guy anymore. So, you know, yeah. that, that's another thing to consider. Respect that. I I didn't like how Bray did the job in that spot. Uh, you know, I, I think next week on SmackDown. We'll get a Vince McMahon special of, you know, Wyatt and Rowan against the, you know, partners that are feuding Ambrose and Ziggler, which 
Um, again, doesn't really excite me for what reviewing SmackDown next week, but I have I have a strange feeling we're going to get that match. I think I think they're going to be forced to keep Ziggler towards the top of the card because if they do push him down the card, they're not going to have a whole lot of options. I think he's going to have to remain in the mix. They're going to have to keep him looking strong. Um, Bray Wyatt's a whole other issue, though. That's that's another guy who's had years and years of wasted potential. So I am interested to see where they go with him. I mean, I wouldn't even have been that shocked if he had beat Ziggler for the number one contendership this week and they just threw everyone off again. I actually thought watching that match it was possible, but I yeah, think I know there are people who did too, yes. Yeah, I think I think that he's gonna be in the title picture here before too long. So he needs to turn although they don't have a lot of great heels on that show, obviously they're doing a baby face versus baby face match uh for SummerSlam with Ambrose and Ziggler. I think Bray Wyatt needs to turn face. I think that's long overdue just because I think he's plateaued on the heel side. He's a guy who's lost feuds to Reigns, Cena, Undertaker. I think, you know, I'd like to see them switch it up with him. I mean, I don't want to see him become smiling Bray Wyatt by any means. I mean, that'd be horrible, but um, I think, and they were even teasing it. Remember when he got hurt in the tag match with Roman Reigns right after WrestleMania? Yeah, they were kind of teasing it and people were into it. If you go back and watch that tag match, I can't remember the exact date. It was a, a raw. It was a main event. And I can't even remember, to be honest, who he and Reigns were working against. It might have been like the League of Nations or something like that. But um, people were getting into that. And I, I was you know, I, I didn't I haven't really liked how they've used Wyatt since he's been back. And he's a guy that Smackdown's clearly, clearly going to need um, uh, backlash, you know, just to kind of put a punctuation mark maybe on the SmackDown brand, and that's the first brand-only pay-per-view we're going to get. It's in Richmond on September 11th. I can tell you, Ryan, um, that with, in the SmackDown writing room, Backlash is a huge priority right now. Um, they, you know, because SummerSlam kind of writes itself for them. They're not going to have, I think they're, I think the SmackDown contributions, truth be told, unless they're going to add a women's match, um, are kind of done for SummerSlam. So, you know, that's the whole key are they with the depth? What are they going to have on the table? They've got to get a lot of these mid card and undercard guys ready for backlash that aren't going to be even on SummerSlam. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't care if American alpha is on SummerSlam or not, because it won't be, it'll just be a throwaway match anyway. I mean, there's going to be nine big matches. I think when raw gets, um, it's next round of contributions on. So there's probably not a place for them. And, I, you know, I mean, it'd be maybe a reason to be more interested in backlash if you kind of save their first big match and maybe it's a tag team tournament final um, for that show. Well, let's transition to Raw now. And uh, as we talk about Monday Night Raw, one discussion that Kyle and I were having off air uh, revolved around Finn Balor. And uh, I guess what we were criticizing, I mean, I think we're both pretty high. Don't get me wrong on Finn Balor coming to the main roster, feuding with Seth Rollins. They made him a star the first night on Raw, which was awesome. Um, But we did see a little bit of weakness out of him this week with his promo skills. And this led into a discussion where Kyle and I were talking about developmental and um, the, the transition between NXT and WWE and how we've seen a lot of the people who come up don't seem to have um, that promo background or they don't, they don't, they're not as well versed in, in doing promos. And I don't know if some of that is because it's so scripted on the main roster. I mean, I know they script things at NXT, but um, perhaps when they're learning, they have a little more free reign, like old school 
when wrestlers could say whatever they wanted. And maybe it's the nerves they get on the big stage. They're given a script and they, they can't, they don't really, they don't have that transition. They, they kind of come across as minor league right away. Um, and that was something you noticed too, Kyle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Balor was kind of the cherry on the Sunday when he did it, because if you, the first segment, Sasha Banks came out and she wasn't that great either. She's not a great promo in general. I think part of her issue, I think, um, is that she wants, she, I think she struggles with babyface promos. I think she wants to cut heel promos with the boss. I mean, it's kind of a heel character. Yeah, and, I agree you know, she entirely. Always, she always starts kind of by doing, you know, she almost always sounds like a heel at first, and then she kind of remembers halfway through the promo, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be a babyface. I've got to be, like, nicer or something like that. Um, so that might be her issue, but a real eye-opener with Ballers, they didn't even, like, trust him, really. I mean, they kind of, they had him come out, and they just had Rollins come out right after and Rollins sort of like dressed him down verbally and it didn't, it kind of, I mean, it didn't, you know, it's not like it can't be salvaged. It was just a one week thing, but you know, Ballard did not seem like a big deal or a big star during that segment, at least to me. I mean, until he said ass, I mean, that was kind of like the big pop he got in his promo. <laughs> I, I mean, if he wouldn't have done that, I don't think anyone would have cared about anything he said. It was just very generic. And to your point, it is a huge jump up. Um, from WWE, um, no matter where you come from. I mean, NXT or the Indies. I mean, that's a huge jump. There's never been a time in this industry where there's been such a huge jump to one place, no matter where you're coming from. But still, you know, if they're putting such an emphasis on promo work down there in Orlando, you'd like to see better results, I think. And Balor's a guy who's been around for a while, too. I mean, it's not like, He's one of these like guys they found, you know, some, you know, fitness freak they found. And they're just like, okay, we want to make you a great wrestler. I mean, he's a guy who's been around in wrestling for a while. And it was just a little disappointing to me that his promo came off so flat because he he did what you said was completely right about the first week. He was like a huge star. Um, Although I will say that when I was watching that match, when he beat Reigns, my wife was like, is this scrawny guy going to beat Roman Reigns? I was like, oh boy, that's not... <laughs> Please, let's not let Vince McMahon hear that. But, um, yeah, I, I just I would like to see his promos get a little bit better. What they should do is that special they had on the network, they, they need to re-air parts of that because it made, it, it made him seem like such a big deal, um, you know, much like the Rollins video did for his comeback. It, it, it's just shocking to me that they invest the time in those videos and then they don't really want to show them to a mass audience. Like, I don't know if they're afraid, like, oh, my God, we've got this live crowd. They're going to feel ripped off if we're showing them video. Man, it's to be honest, those videos in Rollins case and in Bowers case are much better than, you know, kind of the back and forth promo we got on Raw last week. What I think the problem is with Balor, as far as like on a, on the the promo level, because that's really like his only weakness at all right now, to yeah. be honest, is mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of the same thing as what you were talking about with uh, Sasha. Is because uh, you know Sasha, yeah, she her gimmick is a heel gimmick, but she's trying to be face, and it's awkward. Uh, with Balor, I think he just struggles playing the babyface role. I mean, here's a guy who in Japan was a huge star as a heel. And he actually does cut very good heel promos. And I think it's just he wants to work heel. And when he when he's asked to be a face, it's 
it's not as natural to him. I think he's more of a natural heel and people might not, people that haven't seen him wrestle in Japan are probably thrown off a little bit by me saying that, but go on new Japan world spend your 840 a month and look at some old bullet club stuff with him as Prince Devitt. And you'll see the guy was an awesome heel. So, I mean, down, down the road, that's, that's a road he's going to have to cross. He's going to have to be a heel. But I think, I think part of the problem is he's just on the microphone. At least he's just not as good of a baby face. And and, it's, cut baby no, go face. Ahead. yeah it's hard to cut baby face it's, it's a lot easier to cut heel promos i think if you talk to guys who've been in that industry for any length of time they'll tell you it's easier to cut a heel promo oh yeah yeah promo. that's why in my opinion um kind of going back to our earlier discussion anytime a guy kind of gets over as a bit even the slightest bit as a baby face it's so astounding to me that they don't at least run with it like no matter who it is because it's so hard to get over as a baby face well i wrote the column on uh right after um rollins came back from his injury and uh he had the the network special you're mentioning there a second ago and he was the, the most natural top baby face they have had in forever and they instantly turned the guy heel when he would have far surpassed reigns ever as a baby face at that point in time i wrote a long column on top rope press i'm yeah, sure you can find that. it about how wwe blew it with seth rollins but you think you look at rollins again in in the ring with balor and uh, on the mic yeah two different worlds i mean rollins is such a good heel um and yeah it was that that was the big contrast i noticed there when they went face to face it's just Wow, Rollins is really good. Um, speaking of that, we're going to have some power rankings coming out on Top Rope Press pretty mm-hmm. soon. And when I was going through doing my rankings for the for the power rankings, I was kind of going back and forth um, for the top spot with Balor and Rollins. But I think the promo difference was, I mean, when I saw him in the ring together, there was just no way I could put Balor yeah. on top of Rollins at this point, at least. That's interesting. I had them as one, two in that order. You had Rollins one. I had Rollins one. Yeah, yeah, I had Rollins one, Balor two as well in my Raw Power rankings. Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler uh, but, alert. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, when you look at it, obviously, Balor's the guy with more to prove in the eyes of kind of the powers that be going into the SummerSlam match. I don't know who's going to go over in that match, but, you know, Rollins was their number one pick. I mean, Rollins is kind of a made guy uh, at this point, yeah. I think, in the creative's eyes. I, personally, I don't know what you think. I think Balor probably needs to go over at SummerSlam, even if it doesn't work uh, right away. I mean, you can always change, but, you know, I think they have a chance to make a new guy and they, and they desperately need, it was actually kind of funny when I was doing my raw rankings, I was like, you know, okay, this show has way more depth. It was way easier to do 10, but it was also kind of harder to choose and rank among the top three. Like there, it wasn't a definitive number one choice. I mean, you talk about flip-flopping between Rollins and Balor. Those are the two most logical choices, but it's not like either of them is like this dominant number one. So, yeah. you know, I think when you have a chance to make a guy, because if Balor loses that match, truth be told, he just kind of will have that, well, just another guy stigma that Rollins kind of has by just sort of coming back and doing what he was doing before. I think that he really could have gone to a next level had they, as you said, run with him as a baby face. Right. Um, and it, it'll be really interesting because obviously the plan was Rollins and Reigns initially yeah. for the smack for the raw title. And they've totally changed that because that was supposed to be for the title that was already created, you know, the, the existing WWE title. And then SmackDown was the one that was going to create uh, a new title. And they, you know, the Reigns suspension obviously kind of threw 
um, those plans out the window. So it'll be interesting. I don't know initially what the plan was to come out of SummerSlam, who the champion was going to be Reigns or Rollins. But, you know, now with Balor in the equation, um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Let me just go back a second to something I was saying about Seth Rollins. So I, so I said, yeah, he should have been a face when he came back. And then I mentioned he's, he's such a good heel. Let me just clarify. I think Rollins can exceed, he can exceed all expectations as a heel or as a baby face. We haven't really seen him as a top face. That's why I wanted to see him take that role coming back from his injury. But right now as a heel, I mean, I think the guy is him and Kevin Owens best heels in the company by far. Um, now, where I think we're going with Finn Balor is, I agree with you, if he if he were to, to beat Rollins at SummerSlam, it would kind of make him, um, but I don't think they'll do that, just because that's not what WWE tends to do with yeah. new guys. Um, the only way, though, that I think him losing would make sense, and what I personally would do, is I would have Reigns come out and cost Balor the match full-on heel reigns which they should yes. have done months ago and then if you have a face balor feuding with a full-out heel roman reigns i don't think it would take away from balor losing but that's the only way that's what i would like to see happen. no that's a really good idea the only issue is i now you know what they've done with reigns you know i watched that match at battleground and then what they did last monday and raw with him kind of you know coming out to defend the honor of old glory there against Rusev. They are just trying every tried and true trick to get this man over as a baby face. You know, I would think that, you know, right now it's not working. You know, people obviously want to compare him to John Cena a lot with the kind of mixed reactions. And to be fair to both of those guys, particularly Cena, I just think when you look at society, not just wrestling fans, but like fans of, anything in sports, it's really hard for someone to be universally liked by, you know, I just think like even like the best basketball player, a lot of times is also one of the most hated basketball players by, you know, certain fan bases. You know, I live in Cleveland, you know, LeBron James was still the most popular player in the league when he was with Miami, but he was, you know, to use a wrestling term, the number one heel, if he came to Cleveland. So, um, you know, it, it's tough, but Reigns isn't as successful in that spot as Cena. Like, I, I think, you know, I was one of the people back in like 2006 and stuff. I was like, yeah, this Cena, you know, he's getting booed everywhere. You know, they got to turn him heel. And, you know, now I just kind of think whatever. It's just, you know, certain people don't like him. A lot of people. I mean, there were numbers that suggested he was successful in that role. He moved a lot of merchandise. Reigns, you know, hasn't been as successful. So. There's absolutely a legitimate case to be made for him to turn heel. I just don't think that they're going to do it, though, because I assume he's going to beat Rusev at SummerSlam because I think Rusev's going to probably take time off for his honeymoon, I imagine. Um, so I can see Reigns being the U.S. champion and doing the Cena gimmick, maybe, as U.S. champion. I don't know. I mean, I, I think they're going to try to stick with him as a babyface because when I watched that Battleground match, if you if you go back and watch it, all the two-on-one spots were against him. He wasn't rolling up Ambrose from behind. Ambrose was rolling him up. They were doing everything in the world to draw sympathy for this man, and it wasn't working. But they keep going with it. And, like, I think I tweeted on Raw, you know, it'll be funny if the United States of America gets booed at SummerSlam. I think that's kind of like the, 
you know, barometer to see, okay, I mean, if he can't get cheered in this situation, yeah. uh, what else can you do? There's I mean, no he, chance he then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, if he gets booted SummerSlam, maybe even then the WWE will revisit their position with him because, I mean, this is like the easiest spot they're putting him in now to get cheered. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that. I think that's actually going to be a good match, uh, to be oh, honest. Oh, yeah, you. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything, and I'm I'm not confident that they will turn Reigns heel. We've been talking about this for months and months. I'm just saying – if I were booking it, that's what I would do. I would I would put Balor and Reigns together, um, and I I felt like they kind of teased it during yes. uh, that first that first night Balor was up because after the match, it almost seemed like Reigns cut this promo that was like overly cheesy. Like I respect that dude. Like yeah. really, do they think that that's gonna get him over? <laughs> like come on, like again, I think they did. Like I think that was like you know I think they were like okay, just make sure you say you respect Balor. It'll it'll you know the, that that'll soften the blow here. Yeah, I felt it was kind of a, a hint that something was coming between the two of them, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, there's definitely some intrigue, so there's a reason to watch for sure. Um, so let's see what else did we have. I guess Raw was definitely highlighted by that. Rollins Zane match, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if I can see a main event like that on Raw every week, I will be a very happy wrestling fan. I thought that match was phenomenal from start to finish. Um, it was, I guess, I know why they had uh Lesnar close out the show. I probably would have had the match, but I'm more of a traditional guy, I think a match should go on last, but. At when you when you brought out Lesnar after that, I really had like no interest in the Brock Lesnar segment. I'm not sure where you were at, Kyle, but yeah, it, you know, I think it's funny that we just bring up Lesnar because in the back of my mind, I was you know we've referenced SummerSlam a bunch of times. I'm like, you know, we probably should maybe reference the big what, what's I think going to be actually the big money match for that show, him and Orton. I think that's going to actually be positioned higher than both title matches, um, and the Cena and the Reigns matches as well. But um, yeah, I, I thought Rollins Zane was easily the best match on either show. Um, you know, it was the best match on Raw is better than anything on SmackDown. You know, Raw's given us quite a few good matches. I mean, there was like four matches on that first show that were like three stars or higher. Oh yeah, yeah. To the, be honest, that yeah, was, the four that man was an matches were great. Wrestling show. Yeah. Um, my only issue is, and again, it goes back to the wrong guys losing too much on these TV shows with Rollins and Zayn. Is you know, you just had Sami Zayn win this really big match that was portrayed as this huge blow off and end of the feud thing with Kevin Owens at battleground. That was really good. And it almost seems like he's going to be left on the sidelines for SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of, I kind of feel for the guy. Cause like, what's he, you know, you think, you know, throughout the history of wrestling, a guy wins a match like that. It's a portrayed as this huge deal. Okay. Well, he goes on to something then. And it seems like they don't have anything for him. Like even Owens, the guy he beat, while maybe it's not the most ideal thing, at least they have something for him with Jericho. Zane just seems like a guy who's going to be left out in the cold. And that's, you know, that kind of sucks for him. And it, it goes back to the thing that, you know, when you look at the talented guys who are going to get left off SummerSlam or, you know, maybe they get relegated to the pre-show or something. It's raw. It's all raw guys. I mean, Cesaro's another guy, not sure what he's going to do for SummerSlam uh, either. Uh, so, yeah, I, that, that'd be my only criticism of the whole Rollins-Zane thing is that, you know, it seems that Zane right now is on the outside looking in. And that's that's too bad because the guy just had his best match on the main roster and really isn't going anywhere after it. No, I agree. I, d- I don't see any direction for him heading into SummerSlam, unfortunately. I'm not sure who they, looking up and down the roster here, I'm not sure who they would uh, who they would but, pair him with other than like a random tag team match. Yeah, well, if you look at it, 
I would imagine next week on Raw, I mean, the, the, there's six officially announced matches on for SummerSlam right now. But I imagine on Raw next week, we're going to get three added. Rusev and Reigns, a tag title match with the club and New Day. And then it looks like they're kind of building to Enzo and Cass against Jericho and Owens. Yeah, that would Maybe be I'm my wrong. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So if you add those, that's nine matches for SummerSlam. There's not going to be a ton more. No. Yeah, we're full. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're kind of full. And again, I mean, that's, you know, you, there's some talented guys left out. Uh, I mean, again, it, maybe it's not the worst thing. It kind of sucks for them, but, um, you know, maybe you keep them fresher for other shows. But yeah, I, I just think that's um, was my, again, my lone issue. I think I'd beat that in the, into the dirt. All right. Well, we're running out of time here this week, so I need to get to a couple things. Uh, last week on the show, we had a contest. Jason and I talked about 8-bit wrestling games and what our favorite 8-bit wrestling games were growing up as 80s children. And uh, I had mentioned my favorite game was the first WCW game on the NES. Jason said the original pro wrestling game. Maybe I should give you a chance, Kyle. you have any fond memories? We like to do a little nostalgia here on the show. you have any fond memories of uh, original Nintendo wrestling video games? So I, had, I, I apologize. I meant to look up the name of this game. Maybe you're going to remember. What was the first? I, maybe, it was a, maybe I'm wrong. It wasn't the first, but I think it was the first WWE uh game it was an acclaim game and there were six guys in it i know bam bam bigelow was in it i think it was wasn't it just wrestlemania i think it was that's why i thought it was like something real basic so like it would and there were like weird power-up things like didn't andre the giant like he'd power up if there was like a turkey or something like that that (laughs) yeah i'm pretty positive that was that was wrestlemania and then they came out with wrestlemania steel cage challenge after that okay yeah i i remember having that one and and really I, i i just thought it was cool because I think by the time I got it or by the time I would play it all the time, like Bam Bam Bigelow was already out of the promotion. So I thought it was like really cool that like, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow just got kind of lucky that like few month period he was pushed. Um, You know, WWE decided to kind of make its first video game and he was in it and stuff. He could be Bam Bam Bigelow. So um, (laughs) that was one. Um, And, you know, I actually just thought of, and then, um, as far as eight bit, I think that would be it. That would be, that would be the first one. I was actually, I actually was just reminded this is not eight bit at all. And it's it maybe taking the discussion in a direction it shouldn't go, but I was just reminded of the, um, the WrestleFest arcade game. I was at one of those barcades here locally and they actually had it and I got to play it for free. Oh, that um, was, that was a great game. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you could, it was the first one where you could do a real Royal rumble. Um, you know, they, they actually had the, the smash crush version of demolition, which was, um, very short lived and very hideous, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I remember that too. But yeah, that first WrestleMania, when you mentioned that, I, I thought of that. I was like, what was that game that like Bam Bam Bigelow was actually in? That was that was crazy because his tenure in WWE was actually very short. So oh, yeah. yep. I'm trying to think who the other guys were in that game. It was obviously Hogan and Andre and DiBiase. It was that whole late 87, early 88 period. Uh, Savage. And there was one. There was, I think there's only six guys you could be. Uh, yeah, let me look here. I'm, I'm Googling Honky it right man. now. Yeah, Honky was it Honky Tonk Man? Yeah, that's right. Because he was Tonk Man, Bigelow, DBIC. Yep, Savage, Andre, and Hogan. Yeah. Yep. Well, I like the WCW game because it was like the first NES game I remember where you could you could assign multiple moves. I know those first WWF games were mostly like kick, punch, maybe a body yeah. slam here and there. Um, so we had asked our listeners, send us a tweet, send us an email. What's your favorite NES game and why? And we told them our 
the best answer would get a free Top Rope Press t-shirt, courtesy of Pro Wrestling Tees. And Kyle, I know you're a proud owner of a Top Rope Press t-shirt. I'm wearing mine right now, believe it or not. Excellent. Very comfortable, I assume. Yes. <laughs> you can get those at ProWrestlingTees.com. It, okay, no, it really is. That's why I picked it. It was, really, it, it was lightweight because I went to a baseball game today. It was perfect under my other shirt. So, yeah. They do have the option on there. You can buy, you know, just your standard cotton shirts. You can upgrade to the soft style, and I would recommend if you if you pick one up, get the soft style. It's worth a couple extra bucks. I know that's what Kyle has. Very comfortable. Um, so we got a, f- a few different answers here, and uh, pardon me if I mispronounce your name, but I I'm gonna have to give the victory here to Mike Barham, who said his favorite eight bit NES game was the original pro wrestling game which jason had mentioned on the show last week and his comment on twitter was that um hayabusa with the inziguri for the win ftw just had to get in the right spot so mike if you're listening shoot us a uh email topropepress at gmail.com let me know where to send your t-shirt we'll get that in the mail and uh we'll be having these contest periodically on the show so keep tuning in we'll give away some more merchandise here and there so uh i want to thank kyle ross for joining me as a co-host this week we'll definitely get kyle back on the show in the future it's been a lot of fun kyle thank you for having me it was great i hope uh i hope it was somewhat decent definitely enjoyed it so we will catch all of you again next week for the next edition of top rope nation and we will see you all then. I'm going to close the show with a interview I conducted with Jack Snodgrass, who also writes for TopRowPress.com as a feature columnist. Jack is going to be starting a podcast with his brother talking about SmackDown each week. And I'll let Jack explain it here in the interview, but I think it's kind of a unique concept that I haven't really seen from a whole lot of podcasts. You're going to be able to find it on the Top Rope Press Radio Network. So we're going to end with that interview with Jack. So here you go. All right, we're back here on Top Rope Nation, and I'm joined right now by Jack Snodgrass. You may know him as a feature writer on TopRopePress.com. You can also find him on Twitter at CheekyJobbers. And how's it going today, Jack? What's happening, Ryan? Happy to be here. It's going pretty good. Um, I, the reason I have Jack on the show is uh, he's going to be launching a podcast here. We're going to carry it on the Top Rope Press radio network, and uh, it's going to be kind of unique a little bit different, I think, than any other wrestling podcast out there right now. So, Jack, if you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing and uh, what your timeline is. Uh, yeah, well, the idea is to be exclusively SmackDown because the world of WWE is ever-expanding. And my brother and I, who's going to be doing the podcast with me, we decided that we would just kind of hone in on a, you know, a niche of a niche and just totally... Uh, devote ourselves to being propagandists for SmackDown. <laughs> so you're kind of like your goal here with the show, I guess, is you guys are in a bubble and SmackDown is all that exists. Is that accurate? All that exists. We mention raw only when we have to, but 
we will be practicing um, with great discipline to only referring to Raw as the R word or as the show that must not be named. <laughs> Excellent. So how did you how did you come up with this idea? Did it just come to you one night or? Well, we knew we wanted to do a podcast, but we're both kind of, you know, limited on time. And so we knew if we were going to co- cover pay-per-views, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, it's just like, you know, those episodes are going to be like two hours long. So uh, we thought that if it was just SmackDown, then maybe, all right, we could handle this. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's kind of been this unsung being nice. I mean, it's kind of been this weird stepchild of WWE, and it, I think it's interesting like almost that you know someone could do a 30 for 30 on it because it used to be so prominent and really it was a tool slash weapon that kind of ended the monday night wars uh, for good and then uh, it kind of slipped away into this abyss known as the sci-fi channel what i mean the the uh, networks that show has been on and considering that it's approaching a thousand episodes i think it's uh, pretty remarkable Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, when it when it came about being on broadcast television, it was a game changer for WWE, no doubt. UPN when it first started, I think in 1999. Um, so, were you? I mean, in the original brand split era, were you more of a SmackDown guy, or did you do you really not have a preference? Or oh, I mean, I've always been a Raw guy. I mean, I guess I just um, you know tore my own podcast of pieces here but i mean i just i grew up on raw and right as smackdown was getting hot obviously i watched that as well but you know like any other dude i i feel like uh eventually you kind of get away from wrestling and then you you come back so right around 2004 2003 as smackdown was kind of nearing its peak i was you know doing other things so my brother was really into it then so he's more of the SmackDown expert than than I am, but uh, those early days, I mean, when I mean, you have The Rock in his absolute prime, and it's just it's just gold that it's uh, part of history. Yeah, there was that. I think it was around two thousand three, two thousand four, um, when uh, Heyman was brought in and he was writing right. the show, and it was actually better than Raw at the time. I personally was not even able to watch it then because I, where I was growing up at the time, or I guess I was in college, but we didn't have a we didn't have a UPN affiliate, so for yeah. a long time I couldn't even watch SmackDown. So I yeah, I don't know. I think you may have missed out on Moesha and Martin Lawrence too. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a lot else on the channel. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, that's that's what I've heard is that those years that Heyman was running it was kind of distinctly the better show. So I'm going to be interested because we're going to go back on the podcast and um, like the first episode, we're going to just kind of cover the history of SmackDown, why it came to be, how it kind of rose up into being one of the better shows on wrestling television. And I think we'll always reserve the right to go backwards. Like, hey, we just want to break down this episode of 2002 because from here, it kind of started this uh, chemical reaction that affected things in 2010. Yeah, speaking of the history of SmackDown, I got a question for you. So I've seen this debated a lot on like Reddit and different message boards across the internet. Uh, do you have a favorite SmackDown set as far as the entranceway and the ramp and the video board? Do you have a favorite look the show has had over the years? Well, I recently, thanks to the WWE Network, 
I've checked, I've gone back and watched like the pilot episode and then the first like 10 episodes of 1999. And like, there's just a ton of energy that's like bursting out of the screen there. Like the pyrotechnics are just, I mean, they're pretty, uh, they're wild. And I think WWE has toned them down from, from then. I think, you know, Matt Hardy or Jeff Hardy had that incident, but, um, my favorite set has to be the big fist in the middle. Like that, that is so cool. It looks like, I mean, it epitomizes everything WWE wants to be in this like traveling Hollywood movie set with circus people doing phenomenal things in a wrestling ring. I agree. No doubt. I was kind of holding out hope they'd bring back that set when they did the brand split, but they're not rewinding the clock any, but I love that set too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it could do them well to always uh, bring back some nostalgia, but I guess they're all about moving forward right now. Uh, what did you think about the new look of the show? I, we're recording this uh, Tuesday morning, so by the time our listeners hear this, the second episode of the Brand Split era will have already aired. But what, what did you think of the first show of, of the Brand Split last week? I, I think it's great. Uh, you know, a lot of the differences are are subtle, like in terms of the camera angles and the, like the the smash cuts and all that stuff. But uh, I think it's phenomenal, and I, I love Mauro Ronaldo, who isn't technically new, but I just think that it has a a really good feel to it. And I think WWE is genuinely trying to create a new feel for an old show, and, and it seems like although that the draft was you know, geared towards bolstering raw. I, it does feel like WWE is legitimately trying to make SmackDown relevant again. Yeah. Jason and I kind of talked about on top rope nation last week. We, we really like the different uh, camera angles you're doing the smash cuts. You got the, you got the camera on the wire kind of reminds us um, like the NFL view when they swoop the camera in behind totally. the quarterback. Totally. Kind of the same thing. So, um, one more historical question for you, and then we'll we'll get back to uh, some more information on your podcast. But what do you do? You have a favorite SmackDown match of all time? I know you said you kind of got away from it for a little while, but any any matches stand out to you? There's one that I'm a prisoner of the moment because I'm I'm rewatching the older stuff, and there's one that stood out to me because it's it's just kind of quirky. So. It's uh, it's an August 1999 episode, so it's like episode maybe three um, of the entire series. And The Rock and Shawn Michaels never once got in a ring together in WWE history, uh, at least maybe, maybe in house shows. But anyway, there's a fight where it's uh, The Rock, who is like the amount of support that he gets from the crowd is like, I mean, I've never seen power like that. I mean, it's it's incredible. So he he has a match against Triple H for the championship, and Shawn Michaels is guest referee. And I was, I think I, I kind of remember watching it as a kid, but you never. I mean, nineteen ninety nine was a long time ago. But I was watching it the other day, and eventually Shawn Michaels kind of as a special guest referee oversteps his boundaries. No surprise there delivers a super kick to Rocky's chin and Triple H wins. But it was just to have those three guys in the ring together, maybe for the first and last time, was kind of a moment in itself. And it's Rocky as he's blowing up Triple H as he's really kind of starting to be to to stand alone. So I, I don't know. There's just a lot of depth and about to be in terms of like cool things happening in WWE. So um yeah, my favorite matches usually are pretty thick in context. 
I think that I'm pretty sure that was the debut episode of the show, and they brought in Michaels to. That was the match where he he's a special referee and he's wearing the biker shorts, right? <laughs> yeah, why, I don't understand. Like, why you could do it? I mean, I guess you could be a special guest referee in any costume you ever wanted to be, but just like, why? Why are you wearing these volleyball shorts? Like, <laughs> only only Shawn Michaels could make that work. I mean, we all have to admit. I mean, I guess though that uh, may have been a time when he was bad, Sean, in terms of uh, you know he he oscillated between being, I think, a rational person and kind of a uh, delusional, tough to deal with talent. But <clears throat> then I'll, I'll guess that he was uh, having one of his darker days and, and insisted on coming out in volleyball shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that one clearly. I I was. 15 maybe a little bit horrified at the site but it stands out in my memory so i guess that's probably what he was going for what's crazy is that all wrestlers wear similar things in the ring but for him to just kind of casually prance out there in those is just like you know <laughs> what are you doing what are you doing man? <laughs> all right so uh how often how often are you guys planning on putting out the podcast then is this going to be like a bi-weekly a weekly a monthly deal or i think it depends on how much uh how much production is going to go into it. Uh, that doesn't sound pretentious uh, because the first episode, we kind of want to go back and do a history of SmackDown. So that's going to take a little more thought and um, creativity. And it's going to be a little more, I, I guess have a more of a scripted feel than it normally would, as opposed to just like running down a weekly episode of SmackDown, which we, we totally will do, but we would love to do them weekly and keep them at about 30 minutes because people just have things to do. And who really wants to listen to a two-hour podcast about SmackDown? So, <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, we're looking forward to carrying it on the radio network. I'm sure all our listeners out here are looking forward to checking it out. Um, if your Twitter page is any indication, I'm sure the podcast will be hilarious. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> so can we look forward to anything? Do you have anything in the works as far as any upcoming uh, columns for Top Rope Press at all? <laughs> Totally. Definitely want to do something for um, for SummerSlam, obviously. Uh, I don't know if it'll be another make-believe mailbag. Those things are easy and fun. You know, it's like, you know, we're Randy Orton. We have voices in our head. So, um, I don't know. Certainly something will be done in light of Smack, or SummerSlam. All right. Well, with that said... Uh, Jack has prepared kind of a teaser commercial for his upcoming SmackDown podcast, and we're going to play that right now for you here on Top Rope Nation. So again, I just want to thank Jack Snodgrass for joining us here on the show, and you can check topropepress.com for his upcoming podcast. Yeah, give us a follow at Cheeky Joppers on Twitter. We'll uh, try to you know make your day better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and here is the commercial for what you can look forward to. Hello and welcome to the People's Tuesday, the only podcast strictly dedicated to SmackDown. If you like the color blue and underdogs, this is the show for you. Don't forget collapsing rings. And collapsing rings. And other cool stuff that happens exclusively live on the USA Network on Tuesdays from 8 to 10. 7 to 9 Central. And sometime earlier on the West Coast. I mean, the deck is literally stacked against us here. Literally, the R word got three draft picks to R2. We may be the run of McMahon litter, but one thing we promise to never be. That's WCW Thunder. Of course. 
but now we're live and have the biggest baby face in the company. You gotta mean Cena. No. Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon. Even though Shane has a speech impediment. Actually, that makes him an even bigger baby face. You know what? You're right. And we're all about smiles here at SmackDown. And Styles. Yes, and AJ Styles, the best wrestler in the world. And speaking of the world, we also have the most global superstar in WWE history. John Cena. Burr, 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 burr. Yes, indeed. And third-generation guys like Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. Pure royalty. We are the home of the titles. Real titles, not just relics from WCW, but ones saturated with history. Intercontinental Championship. WrestleMania 3. Macho Man. Yeah. <laughs> A hotbed for breeding WWE legends. And we have the title. The one true title. The only title in wrestling. Hand over your heart. The WWE Championship. Held by... Dean Ambrose. Is he crazy? Yeah. How do you know? John Bradshaw Layfield says it all the time. Our announced team, Mauro Analo, his voice is like butter. Grass-fed German butter. And of course, JBL. My favorite Fox News correspondent, yes. And we have people like Becky Lynch. Yep. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. Baron Corbin. The wolf guy. And the Usos. Usos. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Ascension. Eric <laughs> Rowan. Dude. It's fine. It's fine. We're cool. This is SmackDown. We came from the loins of Dwayne the Rock Johnson's silver tongue. We rode Biker Taker's chopper to relevance. <laughs> I think you're winning me over. Hogan was dragging behind that chopper, of course. We gave birth to guys like John Cena, Kurt Angle, Edge, and Brock Lesnar. The rebirth to Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, <laughs> Benoit. Indeed. So, if you didn't know, now you do. SmackDown is the best and only wrestling program worth watching on the entire planet on the entire planet hey to the blue brand to the blue brand 